from New York City. This is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and today I'm going to give you something you asked for. Numbers. Where do the names for numbers come from? I'm sure that we wonder about such things. And the truth is that actually almost every number word teaches you a little something about how language works, how language doesn't. Each one of them is kind of a little teachable moment. And of course, we're going to take it from the beginning. Our very first number will be one. One singular sensation. Every little step she takes. One thrilling combination. Every move that she makes. Of course, that's going to be the first music clip that I use for reasons that longtime listeners will understand. By the way, those of you who are ear players on the piano, I ask you to try playing that song that we just heard. And about six bars in, you'll have a little stroke. That is a tough little song. In any case, one is interesting as a word. It's one of those things. We encounter it so much that we can forget how strange it is. Kind of like, you know, Jay Leno. Why is he a national television host? I mean, God love him, but you would never have expected that when he was just one of the gang. Jay Leno is an icon. Who would have expected it? Think about it. Now you get how weird that is. One is one of those things. Why is it pronounced that way? Shouldn't it be own? You think about these things when you're watching somebody learning how to read. And even in words where it's one element, Alone, you know that's from one. Well, alone, not alone, or only. Mess with the spelling and you can see where only comes from. So why do we pronounce it one? What? What? What is that? We're so used to it, but it's very peculiar. There's no W and then there's some vowel problems as well. And yet as far back as, for example, it goes further back than the 1500s, but in the Tyndale Bible already it's being spelled as W-O-N. And so this W out of nowhere had happened way back then. And now we're just stuck with it. And so why isn't it own singular sensation? And you know what? It's one of those things. Here's the teachable moment. Random. There is no reason known why that happened to one. But what we do know is that words that are used as heavily as one is often diverge more from spellings than ones that are used less heavily. And so that's certainly going to be part of it. Why the divergence in this case happened to be this W popping up, it's hard to say. It almost seems as if there's some sort of quantum mechanics going where a W pops up at the beginning of one because in two, the W dropped out. But no, that's not the reason. That is satisfying. Think about that. In your brain, there's this little click. It's like you just had some peach jello or something like that. But no, that that wasn't the reason. We don't really know. It's just that sometimes those things happen. No, busy is not an example of this. There's another one, another Jay Leno word, busy. We're so used to it. Why isn't it boozy? What's the the busy? But actually, in that case, it was always pronounced busy. It's the spelling that's just effing wrong for reasons that aren't completely clear, but are almost certainly due to certain aspects of the scribal. Back in the time, one just came to write a U, but it was always pronounced I. Nevertheless, one is odd in that way. It is a oneer in a usage that we don't hear very much. It's a strange, it's a singular kind of word in that way. You know, one also 
is the source of our indefinite article. That's the source of an. An starts as own and then becomes an. That's predictable. So it's not when, it's an. And then an becomes a, or some people insist on pronouncing it a, as in I have a book. Okay. But that's how you get the little words. The little grammar words, the words we don't think of as real words, they have to come from somewhere. And where they come from is usually what began as what we think of as real words. And so one becomes our indefinite article. Before that, there was no indefinite article. A language doesn't need one, as many of us, if we are, for example, Chinese, I am not, but many other people seem to be, will understand. So that's what happens with one. And so now we have to move on. And I have a great little transition for this. It's kind of random, but then, frankly, so is everything. Here we go. If one room's not good enough for you, I'll do the best I can with two. See how that got us from one to two? And so... Here we are on two. Now, already we've talked about the W issue, and that's certainly just heavy usage. It should be two, but the W left because we talk about two so much. But still, you have this two, and you're wondering, well, why do we have to say two? Why isn't it, for example, toe? You know, catch a quote unquote tigger by the toe. Why not? Well, that actually does have a reason. It's that good old great vowel shift. And so at a certain point, that word actually begins as toi, but then ah becomes o, just like the word for stone started as stan. So stan, stone, toi, tuo. And when you had that long o sound in earlier English, then later on it became oo. And so the word for food we look at those two O's and we think, well, that's ooh, but that's just what we're used to. Why would anybody choose to write ooh as two O's rather than just, for example, you? Uh, it used to be a long O. And so it was fode. And the word good began as goad. And so in the same way, if you've got this word two, then after a while, predictably, it's going to become two because that's what happened to that O sound. And that gives you some insight, for example, into bad rhymes that you just kind of deal with like potholes that the city never fills. And so God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. And you always have to kind of scrape away from it. Why why food? Is that really the best they could do? No, it's because those words would have rhymed in an earlier kind of English. But sounds are always changing. They're like chinchillas rubbing around in a cage. Um, By the way, Sean Crowley, you are the one who had the chinchillas. And if you're listening, congratulations on your nuptials. In any case, they're like the chinchillas rolling around in the cage. For example, if we're going to go back to the great, 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 great granddaddy of almost all European languages, the reconstructed ancestor Proto-Indo-European, well, that earliest word for two that we can reconstruct as the ancestral word would have been duo. Not far from the tuo that it was in English for a bit, but duo. You never know what's going to happen to that duo. It might be the various words beginning with D and T that we're used to if we've learned good old European languages. But you know what it is in Armenian? Armenian is another one of those languages my parents 
would use when we started to catch on to Albanian, Armenian was spoken in our home. And so I know little little bits and pieces. In Armenian, duo became, of all things, erk. Now, I doubt if they actually growl like that when they say it, but duo became erk. How in the world did that happen? And actually, it makes perfect sense. Take a d and take a w. You have them right there. D. Well, you're hitting your tongue in, in that place. Now, pretend that you're an American learning how to trill in your Spanish class. D. Well, where's your tongue? Pretty much the same place. So a d can become a r, the kind of r that we sometimes spontaneously think everybody makes except English speakers. And so d, r. Okay. So remember, we're trying to get to irk. Well, now we've got the r. And so r, d goes to r. W. So we've got w. W is partly your two lips, just put your lips together and blow. But then also there's something a little good in the back. You're something soft, palatable. It's that. That kind of doggy part of woo is also where you pronounce a g. G. Woo. G. Move your mouth around like have a fender bender while you're saying woo and you might say gu by accident. Kind of like woo woo. Gu. Like that. That actually happened even before there were cars in Armenia, such as it was. And so whoop becomes g, g. Well, g is just, you know, one little inch from k. G and k are really the same sound. Remember, we're trying to get to irk, which sounds kind of like the car stopping abruptly. So the d became a r, and the w went to g, went to qu, went to k, and you have the k. And next thing you know, you've got irk. And so if you're wondering how you get things like cheat yet, when what it's supposed to be is did you eat yet? Did you eat going to cheat? Well, it's kind of like duo going to irk. That is the story that you get from two, tuo, duo. I've always loved two for that reason. In any case, that clip, the way we got from one to two, I'll bet 500 of you know where that clip was from. And I know the rest of you are just in hot suspense. That was from the Rothschilds. That was done by the people who did Fiddler on the Roof. And if you're thinking that a musical about the story of the Rothschild sounds kind of boring, you're only half right. The truth is that if you're tired of Fiddler on the Roof, and frankly, that happened to me a good long time ago, and I'm not even Jewish. If you're tired of that one, and you want a Fiddler on the Roof with a lesser story, but a score that's almost as good, and don't we all want that, then I would try the Rothschilds. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to throw you one more bit from it, just to show you what you're missing. Tell me that this doesn't get your nose twitching like a bunny. Shoulders back, every head held high, for at last we're underway. Founders of the famous financial firm Rothschild and Sons Jaws will drop when the world finds out What a step we took today Copenhagen's favorite banking house Rothschild and Sons You know, even though this is not live I can just smell that about half of your noses are not twitching at all Let's just move on to probably a more relatable clip the old commercial. Here we go. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? A good question. Let's find out. One, two, three, three. If there's anything I can't stand, it's a smart owl. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. See how that got us? From one, two, three, the clips are, are going to be very special for this episode. So here we are with three. So think about something, something. 
That's something to something. It's interesting. Or go to some places in England. Summit. Isn't that neat? Anyway, you have um one. And if something is one, then it's first. Well, you just have to deal with it. If you've got two of something, well, if you're going to be ordinal about it, then it's second. Well, you just have to deal with it. And then three, third. Now, that seems like a different one, but really third, it started out as third. It's kind of like three, sort of. That's how it worked. And so third is just kind of jostled around. It was in that same car accident that happened in Armenia. That doesn't make any sense, but you know what I mean. But first and second... Well, you just kind of have to know. And it's interesting as you fly around the world in a little Cessna and you look at languages and how they deal with that. If you speak English, it seems so natural to think that the one for one is going to be irregular first and the one for two is going to be irregular because what's more ordinary than second in all sorts of ways. Then third is kind of in between. Then after that, you have fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. You would have no problem with that. I once knew somebody who couldn't say sixth. Perfect. English speaker, except for some reason, sixth, sixth, just could not say sixth. It was one of the most idiosyncratic things I've ever seen. So you have all of those and you figure, well, first and second are going to be the odd ones and maybe third. Well, you know, maybe that's a little off and that's just the way a language is going to have it. No, actually, it's not. There are a great many languages where really there is no such thing as an irregular word for first or second or third being used in any common way. So, you know, if you're doing Japanese, then what they have is the equivalent of, if in English we had one-th, two-th, three-th. So, like, hitotsume, futatsume, mitsume. You languages do have voices, and the Japanese voice is, is that samurai voice. Everybody sounds like that in those movies. So, uh, mitsume. And they're all regular. So, hitotsu, futatsu, mitsu, and then you just put me on the end, one-th, Tooth, threeth. It's actually quite common. Then there are a great many languages, more, in fact, where you have a first, but then everything gets normal. So in German, for example, you have one and then you have Elster. Well, no, the German voice is actually this monstrous teacher I once had. Yeah, we have to do Frauenhäuser. And so you have two and that's zwei. And then for second, zweiter. And then for three, die. And then for third, dritte. And dritte is a little different. It's kind of jostled around like three, but the relationship is clear. And there are many languages where all you just have is first, and then everything behaves. Then you have languages like English. Spanish is the same way. You have uno, but primero. And then you have dos, but you have segundo. And that, that happens. Estonian does that too. I just want to stick Estonian into this one time. So one is esimene, and then Estonian whispers. Estonian is, is very sweet in that way, esimene. But then first is ix, it's hard to whisper that. Two is tene, but then second is the unfortunate cox. Then after that, it behaves, which is about the only time Estonian behaves about anything. Estonian is so irregular that I swear it's made up. I cannot imagine anybody speaking Estonian while also walking or eating or experiencing joy, especially giving birth. Estonian is crazy. Then every now and then a language is just completely lusciously idiosyncratic. And so Vietnamese, I happen to know, has a weird first and a weird fourth. The second and the third behave. And then from five on, everything is sweet sailing. You never know. But that's just to say that the English way is not 
the only way. First, second, third, and fourth, fifth, sixth. That's just one way that these things can go. Vietnamese, first and fourth. Speaking of fourth, see, I'm trying for the transitions. So speaking of fourth, here is Nancy Walker singing in Look Ma, I'm Dancing, a not successful, but by some people, beloved show from 1948, seven, nine, eight. Well, those are all the same time. So in 1940, and this is um, Nancy Walker. Many of you of a certain age will remember her as the mother of Rhoda on Mary Tyler Moore. And she also made a lot of money shilling for bounty paper towels, the quicker picker upper. She actually was a Broadway singer. So here is something to get us where we need to go. I'm the first girl in the second row in the third scene of the fourth number in fifth position at 10 o'clock on the nose. I'm the first blonde in Jeherazade, the first swan on the swan lake, and I play the thorn in the specter of the rose. Four has a problem. So four goes back to a word fedwar. Okay, who cares? But fedwar goes back to the Proto-Indo-European Quetwer, roughly. That's what it would have been. Quetwer. Now, if you think about it, that makes sense when you get to French's quatre, or Spanish's quatre, or Russian, all those kind of words. Quetwer. What's with four? Because if you do the sound laws, the way these things generally went from Proto Indo European to English, then really four should be something like war, not four. Where'd the F? come from why f and you know woods don't become f's regularly it's quite unpredictable that germanic languages have this f word but you can figure out what is almost certainly the answer given the way numbers develop by just running them in your mouth and so for example this is the way it should have been one two three war five six okay one two three war five six one two three war five six now if you do that what do you want to do just especially if you're illiterate or a child or busy or probably a combination of all those things one two three war five six you know it's going to be one two three four five six that's the way you're going to start saying it and at first people are going to say ah that's the kitty way of saying the numbers but pretty soon it's just going to become common because it's just better one two three four five six numbers have a way of changing according to the number that's coming afterward. You can see it in languages throughout the world. And so the reason that it's not war, and instead it's four, is almost certainly because what came after it was five. And so you had a kind of assimilation. One, two, three, war, five, six. Saying it it hurts to say it. It's like having a hole in your sweater. It's supposed to be four, five, six. There are harmonies in this world. And that is why we don't say war on the 20th century 1979 one of my favorite songs is this one that will get us where we need to go one two three four five one two three four five zeros preceded by a two preceded by a dollar sign is two oh Oh, 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 wonderful for words. Hello, old friend. Hello, Mr. Money. And where are we? Five. The original word is penque. And so the p becomes a f. 
That is actually common. That is 101. Proto-Indo-European has a p. Germanic words replace that p with a f. Germanic languages are hissy. They're like the characters in Mean Girls. And so instead of a nice crisp p, you f. That's just what happens. It's as if there were a word popcorn and people started pronouncing it fopcorn. The real case is, for example, Latin will have pater or pretentious English speakers used to say, oh, pater. Well, we say father, same word, pedal extremity and foot. Your feet's too big. The old Fats Waller song. Your pedal extremities are colossal. I am never going to imitate him again, but your pedal extremities, he's referring to feet. So pedal and then fu. But this, this is the fun thing about five. This is exquisite. Hindi. It's a language. I think we all know where it's spoken. And they are not a Germanic language, just in case you thought that they would. They're a normal Indo-European language, Hindi. And as a result, their word for five is something that comes from Penkwe more intuitively. And that word is something like ponch. Did you know? You're about to know something. It's coming. You ready? That is where we get the word for punch. Punch is something that British people apparently started doing in India in the 1600s. And it was called punch because there was this Hindi word punch that meant five. And punch had five ingredients. Sugar, spice, water must have been one of them. And then lemon, lemon juice. And then, of course, the liquor. You have to put that in. Isn't it great when you go to some afternoon party and people have punch, but you know, there's nothing fun in it. They say, oh, it's fruity. It's refreshing. But I'm always thinking, but where's the liquor? There's supposed to be liquor in it. Well, spirits. So those are the five ingredients. And so that's why it's called punch. I just love that. The truth is that There's actually a bit of controversy over whether that's true. But, you know, that's so much fun that I can't be bothered. It's Hindi word for punch. Let's make our own truth. Bob Roman, this is a shout out to you for reminding me of Little Red Riding Rabbit of 1944, which is one of my favorite things in the entire world. And it allows us to underline five. Here is B. Benaderet, the amazingly versatile voice actress. This is Betty Rubble. This is Granny. This is Kate on Petticoat Junction, for those of you who have sometimes really had nothing to do and watched really bad old TV. This is her doing a Bobby Sox singing a wonderfully catchy song. Here we go. The five o'clock whistle's on a blink. The whistle won't blow and what do you think? My pop is still in the factory cause you don't know what time it happens to be. la da 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 What you got in the basket, gorgeous? I got a little bunny rabbit which I'm taking to my grandma's. To have, see? Now, actually, that doesn't get us to six, but I just wanted to play that. Thank you, Bob Roman. Six is an interesting little story. Most of the languages that most of you are probably familiar with have some sixy sounding word for six. And so you might think that there's no story. But in terms of tracing it back to Proto-Indo-European, if you have a pan-Proto-Indo-European perspective, the truth is that Really, the original word seems to have begun most probably with W. There is very legitimate controversy about this, but ever more people seem to be reconstructing the original word as not swex, but wex. And it comes from things like 
Welsh's six is chlech. Now, the ch, well, God knows that's a whole other thing, but wuh, wuh, you've got that wuh in there. Armenian, I recall my parents whispering back in the corner when they wanted to talk about <laughs> number six, and they didn't want us to know vets, they would say, those black American mid-20th century people, vets using their native language. And so v, and v is really just a wuh. Mycenaean Greek, which my parents only spoke a little bit, it's weh, or Avestan. You're in Persia. That's just the music that I imagine. That's what Max Steiner would have put. And so you're in old Persia and you're speaking Avestan. You know what the word for six in Avestan was? It was chswash. Isn't that good? It's like somebody grabs your foot and puts it in really hot water, but you don't mind. And so it's like chswash. That was the word for six. Now there's that hug and but it's the w. There's a modern, I guess you would call it niece of Avestan, Yachnobi, and the word in Yachnobi is uchsh, which is almost as good as the squash. These are, these are neat languages. But it seems to have been wex, and if the original word was wex, then you have to wonder, where did the S come from? Why, if people are saying wuh, then why all of a sudden do they start saying, ah, oh, well, let's just throw it to the winds and say swex. That wouldn't make sense. It's an example of something called the S mobile, the S mobile, the movable S that Proto-Indo-Europeanists, yes, there are people who specialize in that. I used to want to be one of them. I've always had a certain envy, that and paleontologists, but the Indo-Europeanists talk about this S that kind of pops up and disappears in various words for reasons nobody knows. And so, for example, if you're somebody who's learned your French or your Spanish, what's the word for snow? Yeah, those. So like neige and nieve. Well, we say snow. Really, it should be just no. The s just kind of pops up in some languages. Or you talk about turbulence. That's a good romance root, turbulence. Same root is storm, except you've got a s. So tur and then stir. Why the s? Or it goes the other way around. We call something a whale. Okay. In Latin, it's a squalus. So it's as if it was a squale. Where'd the S come from? Big mystery about the S mobile. And it's one of those things where wex seems to have taken on an S mobile. And the reason, as far as anybody knows, to the extent that this has really been worked out, and it hasn't, but there are people who venture that it might be because of what was coming after. And so just like War 5, you just want it to be 4-5, well... It may have been that you had Wex and then seven, so to speak, and you made it into Swex seven because you had this S coming up. If you're thinking that we're going to do seven now, you know, actually we're not. And that's because we've hit a certain magic number. There are various magic numbers, but we've just done, we've done six. And that's enough when you're dealing with sequences. And so sometimes people say, Mr. McWhorton, you know what you should do? Um, what, sir? You should write a book about the languages of the world going from A to Z. That would be massively entertaining. And I think to myself, I know what you mean, Harry. I did know somebody named Harry who talked that way. He, what he actually said was, the word for you is ubiquitous. You're everywhere. He actually said that, and that's how I learned the word ubiquitous. But anyway, Harry, maybe I'll do that. But, you know, I won't, Harry. And that is because as Cute as it sounds, really, with a book like that, you get bored after six things. It'd be like Albanian, okay, Bulgarian, great, 
Then Catalan, okay? And then um, D, I'm blanking, and so I'm going to pick one that's a little obscure. Sorry, Dari, it's kind of Persian, okay? E, Estonian, Estonian, because it it whispers. And then F, French is mad at me, so I don't want to use French. Faroese on the Faroe Islands. There you go. Right after F, you're tired. You don't really want to read about Georgian after that. You're kind of thinking... If there's going to be a G, I hope it's go away. You've had enough of that. In the same same way, one, two, three, four, five, six, and I enough. I feel the same way. So what we need is a paradigm shift. We need to break out. We need something abrupt that sounds like this. Those of you of a certain age, although I'm, of course, not of that age, will recognize that as the magnificent little interlude in Owner of a Lonely Heart. Talk about how a bad pop song could actually have artistic construction. What in the world were those brass pops in the middle? I always thought that was really good writing. What it really reminds me of is that about 25 years ago, I was on Xanax for about a hot second. And for reasons I don't remember, I went off of it very abruptly. And for about two days, I just had these kind of bursts in my brain, and they sounded exactly like that. I remember at the time thinking, boy, these little bursts sound and feel exactly like those weird little bursts in the middle of that even now aging pop song. That being said, now that we've made that paradigm shift, what are we going to shift to? Well, let's get away from these little numbers. Where are we? We're at 11. Good old 11. What's the song? Well, Ankles Away was a magnificently bad musical that people who really like Broadway musicals enjoy because, of course, it was bad in a good way. It was kind of like cocaine. And this is a song from it. You've arrived. You're a king when the manager asks you to sing an 11 o'clock song. You prepare for that soft song. You pass up your breakfast, you pass up your lunch You're ready to lead with your Sunday punch What a thrill when they ask you to fill 11 o'clock song from the days when the last song in the show was at 11 o'clock. You think about it, no show runs that long now. That was because shows started at 8.30, which is why the plot of dinner at 8 doesn't quite make sense because they say that they're going to the theater, but if dinner starts at 8 and you can see that they really start eating at 8, then even if they rush the meal, how are they going to get to the show even if people back then went to shows about a half hour late to be fashionable? It doesn't make sense. But in any case, now we're on 11. 11 went back to one left. Old English was Enlefen. And that meant one left. And so you've got this kind of one thing that's stray. But the thing about 11 is, given that you've got the 13 and the 14 and the 15, it leads to a question analogously to the Seinfeld joke with Banya, which was this. Why do they call it Ovaltine? The mug is round. The jar is round. They should call it round team. (laughs) That's gold, Jerry. Gold! Such a lousy joke. So, you know, why isn't it called round teen? Well, why not one teen? Now, that's a real question. Why is it not one teen, two teen, 13, 14? 
And you know why it is? It's because originally our numeral system was based on 12. It was a duodecimal system. And so there's no one teen, two, two, the 13 that started after 12. The idea was that all the numbers up until 13 were supposed to have at least relatively individual names. I used to find that business of there being different bases than 10 very interesting when I was a kid. I don't remember why, but that is what the reason is. And so 12 is the same thing. 12 is a very strange word, but if you unravel it, if you go back in history, if you run the tape backwards, it's two left. And so it's twa-lef. And twa is what two originally was. So it's two left. So one left and two left. That's what those are. And that's why it's not one teen or two teen. And what that meant was you think of 11 t as a nonsense number, but it didn't used to be in old English. You could say 11 t and 12 t. The equivalents, the sounds were different, but 11 t, 12 t. It was a base 12 system. And so, yeah, 90, 100 always got in the way because there's always something standing between us and, you know, the perfect high. But then 11 t and then 12 t. So that's how it worked. Oh, what are we listening to here in the background? Oh, oh, the joy, the joy. Just listen to this for our last number. 20 fans returning, they were turning. 20 fans returning in every room. Fevers were burning, they were burning. And they had to have a way to cool down. Since the 1890s, this has been one of the better pleasure palaces in all. Mm, best little whorehouse in Texas. Yeah, really. It may sound trivial, but it's actually a wonderful package. More the movie than the show. I highly recommend the movie. That was the first movie I saw on video, other than one that I don't think I can talk about here in polite company, but that was equally entertaining. It was a parody of Dallas, except I'll just say that there was an awful lot of nudity in it. But the second VHS that I saw was Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. It was... One of those Burt Reynolds movies of the 70s with that posse, Dom DeLuise, etc., combined with Dolly Parton. Admit that that actually sounds good. Toss in that I don't think there's anybody who doesn't like country music a little more than they'd like to admit. Wonderful film, but that was the opener. That's 20 fans returning. 20, okay. 20. Or even if I say 20, 20. I do say 20, but 20. Okay, why why that? You can tell that it has something to do with two because of the spelling, but why isn't it tootie? Why isn't it tootie? Why isn't it Kim Fields on skates? Why not tootie? Why is it 20? Well, there's a reason. And that's because this is one of those things where, you know, I'm really risking. I'm like on the edge of the ditch. I'm like Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke. The point being that we don't want to go too far into the weeds, but there were many genders of two. And so the twa that became two, that actually was feminine and neuter. The masculine word for two was roughly twayen or twayen, twayen. That was two. That became twain, but also it explains twenty. So twenty. That's why it's not tooty, but it's twenty. So. We have done some numbers. And you know what? Love means never having to say that you're sorry, which doesn't really cover the fact that I lied to you guys. I have never lied before. But you know what? Nobody asked for this. 
Nobody asked for me to do a numbered show. I just wanted to do it. I have wanted to do this from the beginning, and I've been waiting for somebody to ask, but nobody asked for it, and I decided that it was something that just had to come out of me. So now we have done our numbers. Letters, letters, letters. There have been quite a few. Robert Allen, you have given me something wonderful to refer back to our euphemism treadmill episode with, or even the language in 1930 episode. Mr. Allen explains to me that there was in the 1950s and presumably long before an institution called the Charlotte Spastic Hospital. Spastic was a perfectly respectable word. It later became what we would expect today, the Charlotte Institute of Rehabilitation. But spastic was a perfectly ordinary word that changed because of the euphemism treadmill. And it changes our perspective on words that begin in purely innocent usages, which later become abusive. Or last show, I tried to give us a little insight into things that were big jokes in the 30s and 40s that we can barely process as jokes now. And yet in the mailbag, I got not one, but two people asking in you know perfect innocence because they hadn't gotten to that show yet. And it's always an interesting question. Does the internet make slang and catchphrases go by more quickly? Well, you know, I have one more example, one that I actually always think of when people ask that question that I didn't happen to get to last week. Joe Penner. Joe Penner was a crazy vaudeville comedian who had 15 minutes of fame in the mid-30s with a joke. His big catchphrase of all things was, wanna buy a duck. The air about him, he was roughly the Bobcat Goldthwait of the mid-30s. He had a routine. It's hard to find him terribly funny today, but he had this big joke where he would ask, wanna buy a duck in this crazy voice. Now, he made an appearance on the equivalent of today's late night Jay Leno type talk shows. It was with Rudy Valley. And he became a sensation based on this one appearance. It actually survives. And you can listen to Penner do the wanna buy a duck and another one of his catchphrases, you nasty man, which actually is kind of funny still today. So imagine Bobcat Goldthwaite and Jerry Lewis. If those two people had had a child, it would be Joe Penner. Here's what Joe Penner did. <laughs> Hello, Rudy. Oh, yeah. How are you? You want to buy a duck? No, Joe, I don't want to buy a duck. Why? Why? Because. Well, uh, maybe your brother would like to have one, huh? I haven't a brother. Uh, well, if you had one, you think he'd consider it? No. Under no circumstances? Under no circumstances. You nasty man! So, there you go. That became a huge sensation, and he got his own show immediately. And for the fall of 1933, <laughs> want to buy a duck? That was a big joke around water coolers, and they did have them then. I've seen it in silent films. That was the big joke, want to buy a duck, only for the fall of 1933. Even in 1934, the joke was gone, and his career began a quick slide that he never recovered from. He he died of a heart attack in Philadelphia, which I hear happens to a lot of people. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm allowed to say it. I'm from Philadelphia. And so he died young, and that took care of him. But that joke 
only worked for about two seconds, even way back then before there was an internet. There's something I don't have, and so I don't have to put you through it. But I used to have a recording of Penner in 1935. It was on cassette. I threw away all of my old radio cassettes about 10 minutes ago. And then, of course, this has to come up and I can't find it online. But in 1935, Penner is doing one of the 700 failed shows that he did after his first one. And he was doing a monologue. And even in 1935, a year and a half later, he has to say wanna buy a duck in sheepish quotation marks because he knew it wasn't funny. He's giving some sort of mock speech. And I remember he's saying something like, my friends, somebody might say something like, wanna buy a duck. And the audience doesn't really laugh. So the joke came and it went just as quickly as ones would today. And this is long before the internet. And so As I always say to people, I'm not sure that we can say that the Internet speeds these things up. I hope somebody's doing a study and I'm interested to be proven wrong. But you know what I think about? I think about Joe Penner. And you know what? My friends, you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. This show was edited diligently by Mike Volo. And I, John McWhorter, will leave you with the parting advice that if you want to be invited to fewer parties, then just break out your Joe Penner imitation a couple of times and you'll be on your way to perfect solitude. All your pedal extremities are colossal. To me, you look just like a fossil. You got me walking, talking, and swapping because your feet too big, yeah. Come on and walk that thing. Oh, I never heard of such walking. Mercer. Your, your pedal extremities really are obnoxious. One never knows, do one? If you want to cut to the core of today's issues, check out I Have to Ask. Each week on the show, Slate's resident interrogator, Isaac Chotner, talks one-on-one with newsmakers, celebrities, and cultural icons to help us better understand them and our world. Look for it every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.